Hi there, this is Alvin, and welcome to the Kickstart Commerce Podcast, where we share search marketing and domain investing strategies to help grow your business. In today's episode, our guest is Javier Wallace, a doctoral student at the University of Texas at Austin and a serial entrepreneur, having co-founded global and local tourism companies Afro-Latino Travel, Black Packers, and most recently, Black Austin Tours. Today, Javier and I dive deep into discussing his doctoral research surrounding race, class, gender, labor migration, nationality, and transnationalism from the United States, Latin America, and the Caribbean. We also discuss how he discovered a passion for tourism and took the leap into entrepreneurship. We also discuss how deep familiar roots in Texas, specifically Austin, led to founding Black Austin Tours. And last but not least, we also discuss a bit about how his business and the tourism industry in general has been impacted by COVID. So with that, Javier, welcome, and thank you for making time to join us today. Thank you, Alan, for having me. Uh, I'm so glad to be here. Certainly. So to kick things off, Javier, uh, share with our listeners at a high level just a bit about yourself, who you are, your personal and professional background. Well, my name is Javier Wallace, as we all know so far. I'm originally from Austin, Texas, born and raised here in the capital city of Texas. My dad is from Panama, but my mom is from here. A graduate of LBJ High School, played football on a full scholarship at Florida A&M University where I did my bachelor's and my master's from there. I moved to Panama and I started working as a international teacher and athletic director, physical physical education and coach for about six years before deciding to come back or being led to come back to Austin and start my PhD program at the University of Texas, where I am obtaining a degree in physical education, teacher education. Nice, nice. And and then in the meantime, being an entrepreneur. Oh, yeah. In the meantime, those are I have so many things that I just have written down on paper that I do that I just forget to mention. (laughs) No, that's it's a bit about a bit of like myself in terms of obviously creating content, um, being a podcaster, also being a uh, digital strategist and consultant, uh, while at the same time being a domain investor as well as a domain developer. So uh, we've got a lot of a lot of hats in the fire. Yes, 100 percent. 100%. Interesting. So then tell us a bit about, you know, how you discovered a passion for tourism. You know, I I, I never was actually trained to be a tour guide or to engage in the tourist industry. I will say that my mother had always been involved in tourism. And I remember, I think when I was in high school, her going back to school to ACC to take a course on running a travel agency. And she's always dibbled and dabbled with travel and she continues to do so to this day. But for me, being a a lover of history, if you will, and experiences, I just know it was when I was in Panama and I was learning so many things about who I am and my historical background in the country and people were visiting. I remember like my friend that I met in Panama, she was like, if you want to know about the blade of grass, in this whole historical profile as Javier. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) and and so happens, she was the actual first person to contract my services because she brought a group of her friends from the United States. And I didn't even know I was tour guiding at this time, but she just said, I know you know all this stuff. Can you just help us out? And then from there, 
it just turned into this thing of, I guess people were enjoying it and they were like, well, you should probably charge for these things. And that's what we did. I started charging and the rest is now history. So then, so from the time that your friend and probably a few other instances of this, so how much time passed between that first moment up until the point you were like, uh, maybe I should actually turn this into a business? The first tour was actually in September of 2014. So they came on her, on her birthday in June of 2014 so from june june july august roughly three months and then that was when i took on the first paid customers wow and then how long after that before you were i guess into a full-blown business website everything with afro latino travel i then because during that time i connected with another friend who was like myself a black panamanian woman who was born and raised in the United States, but then had moved to Panama, the country of her parents' birth as well I did. And we started to connect because she had a similar idea with engaging in tourism that was Afrocentric in these Spanish speaking countries in Latin, in Central and South America. So we didn't form this officially until 2015. In 2015, that's when we established ourselves as Afro-Latino Travel and put together Instagram handles, Twitter accounts, and then later we start buying domain names. So, so it was really in, in as oftentimes, so from a, from a domain investor, domain developer, so often I look through the lens as well as having search marketing background, but I look through the lens of Oftentimes I look at the domain first and think, oh, I can actually, you know, launch a business off of this given domain versus where in general cases in terms of starting businesses, most people, as you should probably start with the business model first and then think about the name later. And so that's kind of where I'm assuming that's where you fall in the latter case. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, being honest, the majority of our, our guests to this day, our clients, come to us through social media. Social media had, was actually our first entry into the industry because of how accessible the information was on the platform. And it wasn't until a little bit later when we knew we needed to like have a space where we could flesh out like itineraries and have like a complete space dedicated to Afro-Latino travel that we decided to go after the domain, the, the, the domain name. But before, and again, to this day, most people are coming through us through social media, but we always direct them to the domain, to the website <laughs> for more detailed information. But that's how we enter was through social media. And so then I'm assuming that it's the matching name Afro, Afro-LatinoTravel.com or what is, what is that? The well, the domain, name for it, we actually named the website AfroLatinxTravel.com to be more inclusive of different identities within the certain population. At the time, in 2015, we, didn't, we weren't thinking about gender identities to the point that we did now to so say AfroLatinx instead of just Afro-Latino because it was, uh, you know, like very... There's just genders within the with the names O for men, A for women. So, so that's where your studies are starting to come into play. Then thinking deeply about things instead of just at the surface level. So we ended up buying AfroLatinxTravel.com. 
Nice. So then how, how many people, I guess, do you serve or did you serve back then? Um, in 2015, 2014 was the first trip with two women. It was feasible for me to do day tours, which I, was, which I continued to do um, because I was in Panama full time. So I could attend to people as they came individually or they came in small groups. And then we expanded to start doing group trips. Um, and this is when we primarily expanded into Cuba because more people wanted a, a full catered experience in Cuba because of the complexities of traveling to Cuba, that it was more beneficial for us to create, to curate group trips. And we started mm. doing that periodically. But then we always still offered individual trips. But on group trips, um, there we started with Cuba, like eight people. I mean, then we started hosting groups of 10, 15 in Panama. The largest group I've hosted in Panama at one given time was in, um, the Association of Black Lawyers from the United States. And we had 80 people on one, oh, wow. one trip. Um, and then we do other big trips. I do a big trip annually, MLK weekend in Panama. Um, and that we cap it about almost 40 people. Interesting. So then now when you say the travel complexities of a place like Cuba, like what are those travel complexities? Uh, well, you know, since we're talking about the Internet and domain names, um, Internet is not accessible to the, what, the way it is accessible here in the United States and Cuba. Right. There's uh -huh. limited. There's very there's a lot of restrictions. So in Cuba, you have to buy Internet cards that they sell at an hour apiece to access the internet. So a lot of people who have businesses, it's difficult for them to put stuff online or social media for individuals outside of the country to contact them. So for us, because people don't just go to Cuba for one day or two days, you know, they uh. need a curated experience where they can take three to five days and they already know it's organized. Because when you get there, you know, you won't be able to jump on a travel website and look up something today. Like you need to have all your planning done before you get to Cuba because of the limited access to the Internet. And the infrastructure is just not what it is in the United States where most of our clients come from. So they're probably sitting somewhere back around like 1989, 1990, far as technology infrastructure then. Yes, it's, it's, it's challenging. It's, it's challenging. <laughs> uh, I mean, as of last year, if I'm not mistaken, people have, were just allowed to have Wi-Fi access within their homes. Oh, really? At a very elevated cost, which is outside the reach of many Cubans. So most people still have to go to Wi-Fi zones and connect with the official Wi-Fi card of the government to access the Internet at an hour a time. So oh. it is not immediate accessible like we do like there's 3g now as of the year before last as well but it's not where we are yet then in terms of of that that business like you know when i when i think about um what you just put into context for me uh, of being limited by technology then that that kind of throws a whole different scope on it now in terms of of coming back, I guess. Now, what brought you back into the States? The PhD program at the University of Texas. That uh, was the uh, only thing that brought me back to live in the States. Now, do you plan on going back at some point? Back out of the States? Of course. Uh, I mean, 
my my I, my home is in Austin, Texas, and in Panama. I consider uh, both places equally to be home. And the same way that I feel about providing program and doing things at this level in Austin, I feel the same way about Panama. And I know that at some point in my near future, hopefully, I will be back in the country working at some capacity and being there for a good amount of time throughout the year. Gotcha. Now, so now is majority of your family, I guess they're split between the two places? Yes and no. <laughs> so, of course, my mom is from Austin, so the majority of us are here that are on her side. And my dad, they are seven kids. Four of them live here in Austin, and they all came around the same time. And many of their cousins came to Austin. You know, like when the immigration pattern, people don't just go to places where they don't know people. Usually right. people go places where they know somebody. So they established themselves here because other people from Panama were already in Austin, so they came. And so when they established themselves, other Panamanians who were largely their families established themselves here too. So I have lots of Panamanian family that live right here in the Central Texas area. And then I'd have Panamanian family that live in the Republic still. My grandparents live there, have some uncles that live there and many cousins, but I have a lot here in Austin as well too. Interesting. So then with the family that's there um, in Panama, so did they assist or help you in terms of growing the, the, uh, the business? I would have to say yes, because they allowed me to have an authentic black Panamanian experience, um, which lends itself directly into the tour that we do. Because, you know, if how it's so? not for them, I'm, how so? How does it lend itself? Because either way it goes, in the U.S. or in Panama, whatever country, in my experiences, in the country that, that, that I work in, history usually has a one-sided perspective. Hmm. The person who ends up in power has the power to write the narrative. And it's not always inclusive. So in Panama, there are so many things that have been written that just are not inclusive to experiences like my family, particularly because my dad's family largely migrated to Panama during the U.S.'s construction of the Panama Canal, starting in 1904. Uh -huh. So my dad's family, they largely came from Jamaica and Barbados, English-speaking people, have anglicized last names like Wallace, like mine, which it comes from. So their experiences have been unique in this Spanish-speaking country where this idea of Latinos is supposed to encompass all, but even in Panama, it doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense because my grandfather, who's in his 90s, you know, he would be completely offended if you called him Latino. And he's never lived in any other country outside of Panama in his 90 years of existence, but he doesn't feel Latino because of his experiences growing up in Panama as a black English-speaking man, bilingual, but primarily English-speaking man. So, Many people don't know that. Everybody goes, many people come to Panama and just say, oh, everybody's Latino. But because I live with these people, when I went to Panama, I'm able to share that part. And I know it's not just us, it's so many people in, the, in Panama that have these diverse experiences. Even within the black, the black population, there's so many diverse experiences that I'm able to share that with, the, with people who come in ways that they would have never thought about otherwise. And so that's why I say my family, because they contribute to my understanding, contribute to me, like,
taking away or chipping away at histories that have been written that are not inclusive of them. Interesting. And so hearing that, I go, I can see how someone like yourself then, you know, from a from being a, a tourist as well as a business owner, I mean, so you truly go deep in terms of the roots, in terms of understanding the, the history, in terms of of understanding, you know, the various things that are that are at play and surrounding race, class, you know, gender and even just employment there within that that social economy or that social structure. Of course, I go, I mean, deep. I mean, that's the idea. I mean, I tell people all the time, you're going to you're going to have fun because I want you to have fun. If you're engaging in tourism, you know, like the idea is to engage in recreation to some point, enjoy yourself. But I also want you to know that we're going to learn today. Um, mm. I'm going to th- say things to you, hopefully, that will challenge your thinking. So when you go to these places and you see these people particularly, or you see these buildings that you don't often engage in conversations with these people of buildings, I want people to know that these buildings and people have stories and they talk. And they have so many things to say about their existence being in this particular place that might not start with you just walking past them on that day. So for you to have a full experience of where you're going, the country that you're going into, the community that you're visiting, the city that you're visiting, even when you come here to Austin, is you have to understand how this place became to be. Why did you want to come to Austin? Why did you want to visit the live music capital of the world? Why did you want to come to Austin and taste barbecue? Because this is one of the barbecue capitals of the United States. How do we get to this point? Right. How do we get here? And that's what we do. It's like, how do we get? I'm going to take you to eat the barbecue. You know, I'm not taking you to listen to the music. <laughs> but you still gonna have to understand why we got right. to this point. <laughs> Which is, which is interesting because I think often is the case, you know, history is lost along the way. And so, you know, I, I look at someone as yourself and I go, you're um, a gem in terms of keeping, because it, it's like I said, it, keeping the story going, if you will. Because if you lose the story, there's so much that can be lost. And there's so many people that have likely, because they don't necessarily understand their heritage because the story was lost and wasn't transferred to them. You know, it reminds me of a situation of, where grandma is in the kitchen cooking a certain recipe of, of some sort, but the youth are so busy eating that nobody ever stopped to take time to get the recipe from grandma. Grandma dies, and so did the recipe, and no one ever got, no one ever spent the time, no one ever invested the time with her to understand what is that recipe and how do we keep it going keeping to what got us here while at the same time adding something to it that then we create our own mark or place, you know, in, in the course of time. And so is that what, um, cause you, you also do uh, heritage uh, tours, right? Yes. I do heritage tours everywhere. <laughs> really? So, so like explain to the listeners. Uh, so what is a heritage tour? Well, a heritage tour, it, it, it's a broad umbrella at times. So heritage tours can either be you have a direct lineage or history to a place and somebody helps you go discover that. Or in cases like Black Austin tours or even Afro-Latino travel, we go to places that have history of people of African descent being in these places. And then what does that mean? 
we go and we explain their historical presence. Hmm. And a lot of times we connect it across borders, connected across languages. The same way that I said the U.S. Panama Canal was constructed. I'm including you as an African-American born in the United States. That's our idea of heritage tourism. It's putting these historical events and people in conversation with each other. And even if you're of African ancestry or you're not, you can still trace historical patterns and heritage of people. And you can do that through music. You can do it through food. You can do it through philosophy. You can do it through looking at architecture. So heritage tourism is this idea of digging deep into histories of specific groups, either by connection to the guests because of blood relation or of interest, but it's a focus on the, on the, on the particular group that you're thinking about. Everybody understands, I mean, the, the tourism um, industries, shoot, probably hundreds of billions of, of dollars, I would imagine. So, like, what type, if we're honing in just specifically on heritage tourism, I mean, typically what is, like, that spend per year that folks are spending on, you know, such a service? I look, when I look into statistics, I look mostly um, at the African-American profile just because they have been our, our target audience so far and one of my large target audience, particularly before um, Black Austin Tour started going, is African-Americans are spending upwards of $40 billion in travel. Mm. And the majority of the spending that African-Americans are doing in travel, upwards of 40% is to heritage tourism. And African-Americans travel in groups more than other demographic groups who travel alone. African, not saying African-Americans will not engage in solo traveling, but largely African-Americans from a larger standpoint tend to travel more in groups and tend to want to engage in heritage tourism. Not saying that African-Americans won't engage in anything else, but largely heritage tourism or cultural tourism wanting to know more of the story of the individual place. So interesting. So then what, so, but that doesn't exclude other other ethnicities. Of course not. Of course not. Because it's a story. It's a story that, and I, and I don't, and I don't say, you know, I, 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 I refute this idea in this particular instance that it's not about black. It's not about white. It's about green. Like I refute that because I feel that these tours or these experiences are just as important to non-Black people as they are to Black people because this is a part of history that impacts us all. And, the, and, and if we continue to move in waves of ignorance, we're destined to continue to repeat the same things. So whenever anybody comes on any of my experiences or our experiences in Afro-Latino travel, Black, white, Latino, non-black, Latino, Asian, of whatever nationality, the center of the experience is going to be Afrocentric, to include that part of the history, that part of the contemporary life of these individuals and this collective group, but it's not to the exclusion of any other group. I think it says a lot that the statistics that this national polling entity pulled together 
says that most African, that many African Americans, when they travel, want to know about their history. Um, it says a lot to me. It says a lot to us because, you know, we often get those questions. Like it's with the amount of people that we've had come on our trips or that I had come on my experiences that are black, even in Austin, you know, they ask this thing like, well, where are the black people? I want to know about black history. So <laughs> that's what we do. But it's not, it should not only be for black people because we occupy this space with other people who need to know these things too. I can see how the experience, especially abroad, obviously those um, who live in, within the United States, there is just a set way of thought or can be a set way of thought in terms of the Western mindset. But I can, I can see how the, the experience of running Afro-Latino has certainly played into you coming back to Austin and starting uh, Black Austin Tours. Now, what's interesting to me is just obviously at the time of this recording, all the social upheaval that we have. And so uh, what was it? Uh, just the, I think it was yesterday or maybe it was the day before that they uh, painted on Congress. What, um, shoot. Black Austin Matters. Black Austin Matters. So, and, and that's probably a hat tip, obviously, to uh, D.C. in terms of, of painting the, the street behind, or either behind the White House or in front of the White House, it said Black Lives Matter. And so... You know, in terms of social upheaval, there's a lot of education. There's a lot of soul searching going on right now. And so, like, how does that play into what you're doing in terms of Black Austin Tours? You know, I had somebody approach me and ask me if I started Black Austin Tours as a response to all of the social upheaval that's currently happening in the U.S. And the immediate answer and the truth is no. Is that <laughs> I, like on paper, I mean, you can go back, but on paper and see that these same experiences were happening that I was doing them before. Right. This unfortunate, not unfortunate, but before this upheaval is happening right now. Right. So it's in, in the, the people that I've have hosted virtually since this upheaval that ask questions well, I don't even get to the point of asking. Uh, they, the questions don't even arise first because I tell them that this is a continuation. What we're talking about now is not a topic of conversation of right now. That this has been a conversation since 1492, not 1619, <laughs> but yeah. since 1492. And that people who have been deemed black, that became black, have been refuting, fighting for humanity, preserving their humanity, creating institutions that are inclusive of that are inclusive of who they are since. Yeah. Fighting injustices since. Rebelling against enslavement since. You know, it's not now. But we unfortunately or fortunately it has pushed a lot of people who might not have considered these things before to start engaging and asking questions and wanting to learn more. But we've been doing these, you know, like we said, Afro-Latino travel. My first time doing this was in 2014. So it's not because of the current events that I do this work. It's because of my experiences and wanting people to engage that we do it. 
Now, a lot of people know Austin, you know, if you say, hey, I'm from Austin, Texas, obviously there's uh, there's going to be many things that come out of it. Um, most people, they'll mention LBJ. Um, a lot of people will mention South by um, obviously the music mecca of the world. A lot of people, some people mention the bats. Like, what do you want people to truly understand about Austin and what does your tour bring them to? I, I want people to understand that without African-American or black people, there's no such thing as Austin, Texas. There's no such thing as the live music capital of the world. There's no such thing as being a staple on the barbecue trail across the United States. There's no such thing as that without African-Americans. What I want people to understand through my tour is that this city, this experience that you're having, is incomplete without highlighting or centering black people in this. Because we can't talk about Stevie Ray Vaughan. We can't talk about Willie Nelson without starting the conversation about chitlin circuits that were running through Austin when African-Americans were not allowed to go into different places. We can't not talk about these the blues without talking about B.B. King's presence during World War II in Fort Hood and how African-American soldiers were not allowed to participate in certain, in certain ideas of wars because of they were not considered to be fully human or fully men. And we can't talk about this idea of barbecue and start talking about Central Texas and Germans. Like they brought this idea of smoking. Okay, yes, they might have included that, but there were also plenty of people here, i.e. a lot of enslaved African people who also come from a tradition of grilling and barbecuing and smoking meats, who come from a tradition of, they say, barbacoa, from a Mexican tradition. That in, in, Tex, in Mexican Texas, that's nearly 15, they don't even know, but at the least it's 15% of, of Mexico, Texas, where people, get, where people are African descent. So we can't talk about these things right. without recognizing who has contributed. And it's not, I don't want to say black people invented barbecue in Austin because that's not true because German <laughs> people did contribute. Mexican people did contribute. A diverse group of Mexican and African-Americans definitely contribute too. And we can't say these things about Austin without paying homage to these people. So that's what I want people to know. That's what I bring them to. If, I, if we talk about South Congress, SoCo is cool. Right. But I talk about how many African-American and Mexican-American families live in that area before it became a cool, hip place and that many people were displaced to make this place what it is today. So I want people to know the ground that you walk on has been walked on before and largely these roads have been paved by people who continuously have to fight to make sure somebody recognized them. And we can't talk about Austin without talking about those things. So that's what I want people to know when they come is this place is here because people like my family have contributed equally like everybody else and even sometimes more. Exactly. And so so how does this, you know, now play out? Obviously, so I've been in Austin for going almost 16 years, which that's that's crazy to even believe once I say it. And I've seen quite a lot of changes in Austin and questionable changes. Let me say that in terms of East Austin. 
And so how does your how does a tour like yours obviously it spans more than just East Austin and you're going to cover many different things but how does your tour aim itself in such a way to to protect as well as memorialize a bit in terms of some of what's going on in terms of gentrification how are you keeping the story going First we talk about how East Austin was created what gave way to the creation of East Austin, which is the displacement of Black people from around the city of Austin before 1928. Well, in 1928, when they were displaced and made to go to East Austin, which was one of the most undesirable places of the city. So I start there to let people know that this enclave that became the Black Austin as we know it today was engineered to be that way through Mm. policy. The same way that policies have pushed a lot of those people who were displaced into this area at the beginning of 1928 have now, decades later, pushed them out. So I connect those policies across time to say that gentrification did not start in East Austin in the in 1970s with urban renewal. It didn't start in the early 2000s. That These policies are continuations from the 1928 creation of the Negro District that have now morphed into different policies that continue to displace African Americans from places that they have established themselves. And how do we talk about it? I, I bring emotions into it about why people can feel the way they feel about their home, right? I've been made to live in this area since 1928. And I've created a community in this area since 1928 because you told me I had to. I created my own institution since 1928 because you put them here. I made my own community and my health was always in danger and jeopardy because you placed the power plant here. And now you close the power plant down. You make this place healthier to live in. And now I have to go because now I can't afford to live here. People have attachments to build. Oh, totally. Buildings aren't just homes, aren't just dwellings. People think about, this is where I met my husband. This is where I met my wife. Generation. So when I have to go and I'm not going on my terms, of course I have an attachment to these places. So we talk about gentrification in East Austin, not only as emotional, which usually how it's codified is like these people are just resistant. Like that's what the conversation is. Like those who don't want to go, they're just resistant to going. But we talk about it from a structural standpoint to an emotional standpoint, and then the physical standpoint of what it actually looks like. You know, and, and I want listeners to to truly get an understanding of that this goes deep. These tours go pretty deep. They're gonna to touch some areas. And they should probably touch some areas in the heart or even in the mind that are going to be probably hard or gruesome to to swallow or even truly face. Yes. (laughs) But no. (laughs) Oh, it's not. It's it's no real but. Because I I end my tours, the in-person tours, the, the East 11th Street tour at the George Washington Carver Museum at the Emancipation monument in the back that pays homage to Juneteenth. And one of the pillars, the last pillar in the monument is, is, is open. And it says, take your place into history. Mm. So I always encourage guests to step up 
if not physically step up, but imagine yourself stepping up and taking your place. Everything that you heard today, everything that you learned today, everything that you felt yourself challenged on today, what are you going to do with that information? Even though you, it feels bad that you have played a part or it feels bad that you benefit from some of these privileges or it feels bad that you might be connected or you might feel ashamed to be connected to a population that's been subjugated for so long. You have to, I encourage you to take your place so you can do something with this information. Do something with it so that it doesn't just stay within you. And if you feel so moved that you want to start advocating for different people, or you want to donate to a cause, or you want to see how you can get involved, or how can I be, like people ask me now, how I can be less racist. That's what you have to do. Because history, for me, it shouldn't be a pretty story. It needs to be the truth. Mm, and that's good. you need to recognize the truth so you can move forward. So, it, yeah, and I tell people, racism sucks. It's bad. <laughs> it's horrible. It stinks. We know it's not good. Do something. And we have to do it. You have to do it. I have to do it. That's what I hope I do this with these tours, is doing something about it. So I encourage people, don't feel the burden. All on you. Act within your means to make an impactful change in the places that you continue to share with other people. Interesting. So then, Javier, so how have you gotten um, exposure to BlackAustinTours.com? Like, it, I guess, where did this, I mean, obviously, we understand Afro-Latino travel, uh, or we understand that that where you started but how did you actually truly start here in austin in terms of getting the word out about blackaustintours.com first thing i did when i saw airbnb have airbnb experiences i went and listed black austin tours it was exactly called black history walk that was my experience and i listed it there and people were coming. They were coming more than I expected. And I had to limit myself from doing tours because I was, I am still a PhD student. And I was like, I can't, like, I just, I really can't. And what? you wouldn't give it up just to be able to do more and more tours and actually grow and turn this thing into a, a, a conglomerate of some sort. I mean, that's what I'm doing now. But at the time, like, it was just so many, it was, you know, it was just, <laughs> throwing my hat in the game to see what happened. Right. And it just took off. And then, you know, Black History Month rolled around and the news were looking for stories. And because there is a lack of consistent Black recreation or tours in Austin, mine was one of the first to come up and they contacted me. And then that's when I realized, like, yeah, this something is like, I need to do something with this besides just what I'm doing on the weekends through Airbnb. And that's when I started to look how to expand, how to name Black Austin Tours, Black Austin Tours, and then how to expand and grow it from just being listed on Airbnb's profile of experiences. So then you had no website then at the time you started the Airbnb experiences? Zero, none. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So you went onto the platform, Started with Airbnb experiences. Uh, you don't know if it's going to be successful. You're hoping that it will. 
it blows up the news catches it so i guess by the time the news caught it now did you have a website or no no the, the week they called me <laughs> they wanted to meet like on i don't even remember the day they wanted to meet but just say they wanted they called me on monday to meet on wednesday monday night i had a website and so now did you have to buy the domain because i would imagine black austin tours i mean as big as austin is um and for me personally knowing that there are 14 uh states with the city name austin i would have thought blackaustintours.com i was like no way it's probably already registered you're likely going to have to purchase that from a third party but that was not the case not at all not at all immediately black austin tours available in any type form format you want dot com dot org dot gov dot com whatever whatever and and was that surprising where you you know as I get more information about domain names and things, I think it's surprising now. But at the moment, it wasn't surprising just because of like my preliminary research that I did to go on to Airbnb's experience was recognizing that nobody in Austin were doing consistent black black tourism. It wasn't surprising. It was like, oh, it's the gap. Fill the gap, like because nobody else is doing it. Gotcha. So probably nobody thought about it. So not even, so even, so there's a site, so listeners, there's a site, and I don't know if it's based here in Austin, I just know that it's a site, it's called SoulCity, S-O-U-L-C-I-T-I.com. But so, so even Soul City, I guess they don't do any tours. No, and that's the thing, right? So there are plenty of, not plenty, but there are a number of sites and different organizations that exists here in Austin that got, that get things surrounding the black community. And there's some institutions that offer black tours like periodically on a, like a special event type basis. But uh, there was nothing that I saw that offered, like if you want to come to Austin this weekend and it's not Juneteenth weekend or it's not black history month, you can take a black Austin tour. I didn't see that. And I know soul city, like they list black businesses, you list black events going on in the city, black people that we should know about in the city. But it was nothing that I saw that said this is a consistent tour that's going to happen daily or weekly, like surrounding black history or black people in Austin. Now, how long, I guess now, when was that? So you started Airbnb experiences when? May 2019. So that was OK. So that was just last year then. So, well. Shoot, I was about to ask about uh, the Texas relays, but COVID took care of that. So it's interesting because what I what I'd be more interested in to know is in terms of, and it's probably something that'll have to play out over time. We'll probably have to have you back on the show. It is in terms of like even Texas Relays weekend. I would imagine that you're probably going to get business during that weekend just because of the number of people who uh, descend upon Austin. Possibly. But, you know, Texas Relays weekend has changed significantly um, from what it was 10 years ago. Right. Um, so like, even on my virtual tours, I talk about kind of what this new place looked like. But from experience, I know I have an increase of people wanting to engage in the tours during the summer months when more people are visiting. I do know that. But I haven't had a complete Texas Relay time frame to gauge that weekend mm. south by southwest this year i have people reaching out 
before it was canceled because they would be in town in a lot in big numbers and a lot of you know black tech events, black music events. Yeah. So I got people that wanted we were going to partner uh, with uh, I was going to partner with the large black owned company that that black owned travel company that wanted a local black experience. But you know, South by was canceled this year. How long does one of the two, so prior, so prior to COVID, you were actually g- taking people, physically walking them through Austin, right? Yes, physically walking them through the 11th, East 11th Street, San Bernard District, um, into the Rosewood and Angelina area where the George Washington Carbon Museum is. Okay, so now I've heard you mention 11th Street. So what, what is so special about 11th? I mean, to be honest with you, it gives me the most material. The city of Austin in their 1999 East 11th and East 12th Street redevelopment plan, they wanted to create an urban village on 11th Street that would encourage middle-class spending. So they widened sidewalks to make it more pedestrian friendly. They instituted community, African-American community organizations like the African-Americans Heritage and Cultural Center on East 11th Street. Mm. They refurbished the Dietrich Hamilton House on 11th Street. They constructed different murals like the Charles Erdy Plaza. They they designated the Victory Grill as a historical local landmark. So it gives me material, not just from the cultural standpoint, it gives me material to talk about structural racism and juxtapose it to the East 12th Street business district that looks nothing like East 11th Street. So I talk about 1997, I talk about all these urban renewal plans that constructed East 11th Street to what it is today. And they have a lot of pretty landmarks, right? That's what the point the city wanted to do. They wanted to make pretty landmarks that conserve black history, but not necessarily black people. Which that in, I mean, that statement along that very last statement, it's it's preserving black history, but not black people. And that right there is the epitome of. And so living here in Austin, obviously, I can attest to 11th and 12th being night and day, essentially. And so it's interesting in terms of you you're out there you're out there breathing you're out there living you're out there walking um doing all of these things getting people telling people the story sharing the experience while at the same time sharing um history uh as well as education now things obviously you're doing things covid hits how does that impact your business yeah it made it almost non-existent right uh because we knew we needed to stop being in public spaces around people and the whole tour experience was contingent on being in public spaces around people. So it, it absolutely made it non-existent. I mean, it obliterated in many ways um, the business. Many, wow. many, just because you couldn't, you could, you can't, right? You couldn't wow. do it. And so then when did the light bulb go off for you to go, oh, wait a minute. Instead of doing physical tours, I can actually do virtual tours. Uh, spending the rest of the semester as a student at UT doing online classes and just seeing different ways professors were using, and I myself as a TA were using this online platform. And then seeing Airbnb with this online experience thing, I was like, you know what? No, 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 no. Let me do something different. Let me take this virtual. 
during COVID. I went virtual. I never thought about doing any experiences online and never crossed my mind until being forced to do things virtual. And I'm like, okay, this, this might work. This <laughs> might work. This so, might. Yeah, go ahead. So then, so wait, so this might work. Is that going to work? You're so used to walking up and down 11th Street. So how does a virtual tour work for Black Austin Tours? It's, it's, it's a combination. It's a combination of walking, which we do through interactive maps. You know, like Google Maps has made things easier for us to see places when we want to travel. So if there's something that I want you to see at the street level, I can go on Google Maps and I can show you like everything that surrounds it, the building, the landmark. We can go up 11th Street. We can go up 12th Street. You don't even have to sweat. That's the great thing about it. Like you ain't. <laughs> and, then, and then you know also I I I go to websites. I go to resources. Like the same information that I would like dictate to somebody during the experience. I actually go to the website and I say, look, here it is. And then at the end of it. I send all of those resources to the guests. So at your own leisure, you can go back and read these things in detail if you want. So it's, it's a host of things. It's interactive. I, put, I show videos, uh, pictures. The video conferencing system has done wonders. And it doesn't constrain me to just East 11th Street area. Because right. I can go to all these different places in the city of Austin within 90 minutes. That is, that is truly interesting. So Zoom has essentially given you really another avenue on a physical and virtual or physical and digital business. Of course. I mean, the first customer um, that I had, she shared with me, she was like, you know, COVID or not, I don't see how I would have been able to walk around in the summertime and take this tour. Like, this has been the best thing for me. I see so much and I learned. And she was actually from Austin. So she was like, the next time I get in my car, I'm going to drive by there and see for myself. But as of this, this was amazing because I didn't sweat at all. And it's too hot to walk. (laughs) (laughs) And so what do you envision the future to be then for Black Austin Tours once COVID, uh, like I said, if, if vaccination arrives, everything goes back to, well, not back, but forward to a new normal, then, you know, I guess, well, you can consider doing both virtual and physical tours or how, how will this work out? I definitely envision us doing both um, because there's so many things that the in-person tour you experience that you might not experience online. And it's just something different about being there. But now seeing how instrumental and effective virtual tours can be, it would be crazy for me not to continue to develop more virtual experiences in some type of fashion to get, to get, to get people who are thinking about coming to Austin or those who want to visit Austin but don't want to walk around or those who are here and don't want to walk around for whatever reason, it's accessible, right? So even if somebody has a difficulty that prevents them from walking or standing a certain amount of time, this still is accessible for them. So it's definitely something that I'm going to continue doing um, virtual and in person. And I, and I think that it'll be, it'll be good to check back and just see, you know, what kind of happens here with you. Um, and so kind of, you know, as we wrap up, I mean, 
obviously people have heard your story. Now, what would you, what would be your advice to someone who's looking to start a business, business, um, especially one that's tourism during this economic downturn? Like where should they start? My first immediate advice is do it right now. But where would you start? I, I would encourage you to start the same way that I did. You, you can come and purchase one of my tours and see what I do and see how you can adapt it to fit where you are, what you want to do. Cause that's what I did. I went on the air. When I found Airbnb, I went and purchased an experience and on the continent of Africa, I tuned in the next day and I said, Oh, I can do that. And I know I can add this and this to it. Start virtual. It, it works. There was people from all over the world on that call that I went into on that tour in South Africa from my home here in Austin. Do it. Don't wait. It's low cost. It's very low cost. <laughs> low very barrier of entry. Yes. And it doesn't hurt to try. <laughs> exactly. If any, I'm about to say, if anything, even if you did, you're likely going to pivot into, you know, something else. So, of course, try it. Try it, try it. You can't miss a shot you never take. <laughs> Certainly. And last but not least, is there anything that you would like to share with listeners um, just in regards to Black Austin Tours or how they may even uh, get in contact with you? Yes, most definitely. I definitely encourage and invite everybody who's tuning in to come visit www.blackaustintours.com just to learn more about what it is that I'm doing, learn more about the city of Austin, consider different perspectives in the city of Austin. Um, you can Follow me at Black Austin Tours on Facebook and on Instagram the same to do the same thing. And I'm hopeful by doing that, you not only visit Austin, but you consider understanding where you are from or where you're located or where you're interested in the same way to discover different perspectives, hear other persons, people's stories, and to enhance your life to be a more well-rounded person. And that's it. That's all we hope for, man, is like everybody, ourselves included, to be more well-rounded, uh, working and living out of a place of grace to to not stay put in, in terms of history, but let's move forward together. And so uh, with that, we're out of time. So Javier, man, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your entrepreneurial journey, taking us down the path of history. No, 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 no. Thank you. Thank you for hosting me. Thank y'all for listening. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I really do. I love to talk. And I love people when they want to act like they're listening. But I know everybody's tuned in today in a very genuine way. Well, <laughs> totally. And so, yeah, so thank you. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Kickstart Commerce, where we share search marketing and domain name strategies to help grow your business. Please subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or Podbean. Last but not least, please visit kickstartcommerce.com to subscribe to the newsletter sharing tips and tricks about the disciplines of digital strategy. Thanks, and that's all for now.